Good morning. It's good to see you all here today and looking forward to what God has for us as we continue our series, Keeping It Real. So we've been talking about relationships. In the first week, we learned how important relationships are and how God wants us to walk out of shame and into meaningful connection. Second week, we learned about the peril of hiding and how when we hide, we keep back a part of ourselves that God wants us to reveal to each other. Then last week, we talked about listening and the importance of listening. So today, as we wrap up this series, I want to answer this question, what if you take all these steps to build a relationship, <clears throat> but there's still conflict? There's still conflict between you and your spouse, between you and your roommate, you and your friend. Why is that? It's because conflict is inevitable. All of us hate conflict. God hates conflict. God does not delight in us being in conflict. We all hate it, including God. And the reason conflict is inevitable is because we live with broken people in a broken world. Or if I got real, I would say we live with messed up people in a messed up world, and you is one, and so is I. We are all messed up, and as a result, there's conflict everywhere. A.W. Tozier, a pastor from the early 1900s, has this great quote about community. He said, there's only one human community where there is no conflict. A cemetery. See, a cemetery is the only place where you're going to find no conflict. How do you resolve conflict? We see it in Scripture. Paul and Barnabas had conflict. Book of Philippians, Yodia and Syntyche, two women had conflict. And Paul said, grow up. Get along with each other. How do you deal with conflict? How do you resolve conflict? You see, conflict is not always the result of sin. But sin will always result in conflict. Paul, in his letter to the Christians in the city of Ephesus, writes this great letter, the first three chapters, he talks about all these great truths, salvation, election, redemption, forgiveness. Then when he comes to chapter 4, he comes to this hinge where he says, so let's talk about unity and conflict. Take your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. We're going to look verse 1 to verse 6. Stand with me in honor of God's word as we read. You can follow along as I read it to you. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. 
There's one body, one spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is over all and through all and in all. Thank you, maybe seated. When it comes to resolving conflict, and I encourage you to mark these truths down, because it could be that you're having conflict. It could be you know someone is having conflict, or it could be somebody's having conflict with you. The first thing, when it comes to resolving conflict, Paul is saying here in Ephesians 4, it takes effort. It takes work. It takes energy. Look at what he says in verse 1. I, therefore, prisoner of the Lord, urge you. The word urge literally means I beg you. I plead with you. Get along with each other. Connect with each other. In my years of ministry, I have seen churches split over the stupidest things, over things that don't even matter. And as a result, the name of Christ in those towns is blemished. It's tarnished. Paul says, I urge you, I beg you, walk in a manner worthy to what you've been called. In other words, he's saying, live out who you are. Stop just praising God with your lips, but start living it out in your life. Can I have an amen to that? See, that's what he says. Paul says, I urge you, start acting like who you are. Start growing up. Start connecting in unity. Then in verse 2, in a way with humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. He says, I urge you to walk in humility. Think about the number of times when you've entered conflict if you were to enter that conflict and give that person the benefit of the doubt, instead of already judging them, well, why? Why didn't you talk to me? What do you got against me? What's going on? Instead, enter it with giving them the benefit of the doubt, he says, with humility, going to that person with a humble heart saying, I want things to be right here. I want to get things right with humility, with gentleness. Instead of barreling in, he said, let me give you a piece of my mind. Let me tell you what I feel. Let me tell you what's going on. Instead, going with gentleness and saying, I sense there's something wrong here. I sense there's something going on here. Can we please talk this through? Gentleness, patience, Whew. forbearance. Forbearance literally means there's stuff in you that I have to put up with, Jackie. And there's stuff in me that you have to put up with me. And forbearance means we forbear and put up with each other. Hear what I'm saying? See, what's interesting when you look at this list, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another and love, these are all fruit of the Spirit. This is the oil of the Spirit who works in our midst to say, you know what? I may be messed up, but so is you. 
and let's get along together. Paul says, grow up, mature, so you can be united together. Resolving conflict takes work. I love my wife, and I love the fact that our relationship through the years has grown so we grow in oneness because the scripture says we're to leave our father and mother, cleave to each other, and become one flesh. But here's what happens. It takes work. She has to work with me, and I have to work with her. And we've learned through 35 years the fact that oneness takes work. It's not pixie dust that just falls on top of us, and we live happily ever after. So often I'll have these couples come in for premarital counseling, and one of my sessions is how to have a good fight, and how to have a good fight, how to deal with conflict. And so often I'll sit there and I'll look at them, and they'll say, oh, pastor, we're not going to fight. We just love, 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 love each other. I can't, can you imagine us having a conflict and she'll turn to him and he'll say, no, sweetie, I can't imagine us having any conflict at all. And I want to say to them, all right, here's my card. <laughs> when you have your first one, give me a call. And often I'll meet with a couple after a few months after they've been married and say, so how's it going? Oh, you're right. Those rules, those rules help us so much. Why? Because it takes effort. It takes effort for oneness, not only in marriage, but in the church. Why? Because we're all different. We all got different personalities, different viewpoints, different ways of seeing things. It takes work. And like a muscle that isn't worked will atrophy, your spiritual life will atrophy if you don't learn how to deal with conflict because it's inevitable. Resolving conflict takes effort. Second, resolving conflict is an opportunity for discipleship. Here's what I mean. I was doing some study on this this week, and I came across this talk that helped me so much to understand how to deal with conflict. Because I grew up in my home and in my life until God really did a work in me that I would just avoid conflict. I would just run from it. Maybe some of you are like that, too. I want you to see this chart. Let's go to the next diagram. See, there's two different responses to conflict. Typically, people flee it or bring it on. Typically, people will go flight and so I don't want to, no, 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 everything's fine, everything's great, it's all good, because I don't want any conflict whatsoever. And see, those individuals are peace fakers. They're, they're the ones that walk around, no, it's all good, it's all good. It's all good. Don't you dare say anything what I'm telling you as to what I really feel as to what's going on. Some of you are nudging each other. Some of you are smiling. Some of you are in tears right now. All right, come with me, all right? Peace fakers. Like, I don't, I don't want to cause any issue. I don't want to say anything. I'll tell everybody else, but I'm not going to deal with the whole issue as to what's going on because I just can't handle it. Maybe you know someone like that. Peace fakers. Or on the opposite extreme, Peace breakers, bring it on. 
I'll tell you what I think. I'll tell you what I feel. And so the whole thing is I don't care what anybody thinks because I'm strong. I'm going to tell you what I feel and you deal with it. It's your issues. That's not the right way either. There's peace fakers. There's peace breakers. But Christ calls us to be peacemakers. See, Christ calls us to take it as an opportunity for discipleship. It takes effort. It's an opportunity for discipleship. It's an opportunity to resolve conflict to glorify God. It's an opportunity to resolve conflict to serve others. It's an opportunity to resolve conflict, to grow yourself. And I came across, I'm blown away. Today's devotional in verse 15, couldn't believe it. Open it up this morning and it says, blessed are the peacemakers. I thought, they're going to think I took my sermon from this devotional. I didn't. I just saw it this morning. But look at some of these verses they give. Turn away from evil. Do good. Seek peace. Pursue it. Romans 14, you don't, they're not slides, because I just found them this morning. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Spirit. Resolving conflict is an opportunity to grow. Paul says, be eager. Look at verse, look at verse 3. He says, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. He says, number three, it's not optional. It's not optional. Resolving conflict is not optional. Confronting conflict is not optional. Some of you think it's an elective to take. It's not. It's part of the core curriculum. Look what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 23 and 24. So, if you're offering your gift to the altar, read it with me, and there remember that your brother has something against you. I don't want to have something against you right now, so read it with me when I said read it with me. Next verse. Read it. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. See what it's saying? If you're offering your gift at the altar, and here it's talking about a sacrificial gift of an animal at the altar. But let's say you're giving your offering, or maybe you're worshiping, and God brings to your mind someone who has a conflict with you. Notice what it says, leave your gift. And go and seek to make it right. Now notice it said, don't take your gift and go home. Leave your gift. Go, make it right, and come back. Jesus is saying it's not optional. Why? Because the way we handle conflict will illustrate to the world outside how the people of God are meant to get along. How we handle conflict. So how do you handle it? How do you deal with it? Number one, check yourself. Check yourself. Before you go in and speak to someone else, check yourself. Matthew chapter 7, verse 5, Jesus said this. He talked about before you look at the speck in your brother's eye, get the hunk and lumber yard out of your own eye. 
Remove what's sticking out of your own eye. In other words, look in the mirror and check yourself. Say, what am I doing here? What's going on? Make sure you're right before you go and confront another. Number two, check your heart. Check your heart. Are you more concerned with being heard or to hear? Are you more concerned with being right or being loving? Are you more concerned with getting your way or being open to a different way? Check yourself. Check your heart. Check your heart. And let me ask you this. What I mean mean by check your heart is this. If you're 10% part of the problem, take 100% ownership of your 10%. Let me say that again. If you're 10% part of the problem, take 100% ownership of your 10%. What I mean by that is this. Be careful not to pull the I am sorry if you were offended card. Meaning... Well, I'm sorry, Sarah, if you were hurt by this. Is what that basically is saying. I'm sorry, Sarah, you're such a baby. I'm sorry, Sarah, that you're so overly sensitive. No, I'm sorry, Sarah, I hurt you. Take ownership of your part. Be careful not to pull this one. I'm sorry I hurt you. But you have no idea what I went through today. You have no idea the experience I went through. You have no idea the pressure I'm under. You have no idea what's going on. Kick out the big butt. Yeah, I just said that. Kick out the big butt. Because as soon as you put your big butt, yeah, I'm saying it, as soon as you put your big butt in the middle, you've totally negated everything you said before. Can I have an amen to that? You see, as soon as you start to say, I'm sorry I hurt you, but you have no idea the kind of week I had. If I go home after ministering to all of you who are loving to minister to, but after ministering to all of you and I go home and I'm sure of my wife and I say, babe, I am so sorry. I am so sorry I said that unthinking, unfeeling, uncaring thing. But you have no idea the kind of day I had. You have no idea what I went through. You have no idea the pressure I'm under. She totally, click, turns it off because I'm not taking ownership. Do you hear what I'm saying? Be careful. To take ownership. And then finally, speak the truth in love. Go to the person, and if that doesn't work, Jesus said, take someone with you. And if that doesn't work, then you tell the church leadership so it can be dealt with. Why? Because Paul says, I urge you, get along with each other. Grow up. Mature. And be united. Because the world out there is watching us to see how we interact with each other. Jesus said it this way, by this they will know you are my disciples by the love that you have for each other. How we treat each other. Let me get real here. If you have an issue with me, please don't go to the chairman and the elders. Come to me. If you have an issue with a staff member, please don't come to me. Say, did you know what he or she did 
Let me tell you, I'm upset with them because you know what I'm going to tell you? Did you go and talk to them? See, the first thing you're called to do is go talk to that person. Then if it doesn't work out, then come to me. Then we'll work it through. See, be careful you don't start sharing prayer requests with one another about people you got conflict with. Because I'm hoping we'll grow up to the point as soon as we start hearing that to say, did you talk to them? Did you go to them? Be careful you don't be saying, just between us. Just between us, please. Just between us. No. Go to the person. Because that's how unity can take place. Okay, but there's a big issue here. But what if you do all this and the person still doesn't respond? The person still is belligerent. The person still will not connect with you. Romans chapter 12, verse 18 gives us the answer. Look what it says, if possible. So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Because there's some people, no matter what you do, they're not going to make peace. They're not. And we cannot walk around with false guilt. You do what you can do, but then you put it in God's hands and you ask him to work. As much as it depends on you, meaning you've done your part, as far as you can go, as far as you can go. If we're going to keep it real, there's going to be conflict in relationships. And the answer is not to be a faker a breaker, but a maker. Because Jesus said it this way, Matthew 5, verse 9. Read it with me. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Why? Because Christ came to bring peace. Peace between us and God through the cross by paying for our sins those of us who are enemies of his. Christ came to bring peace between families and individuals and in the church. Christ came to be a peacemaker. And we are called in our relationships to be peacemakers so that we can point people to the Prince of Peace. What's your application today? For some of you, as you heard this message, a picture came to your mind. And you haven't done your part to go talk to that person. I'm going to challenge you. Get it right. Do it. Proverbs chapter 6 says, if you have an issue with your neighbor, don't let sleep come to your eyelids but get it right. Paul said, do not let the sun go down on your wrath or you will give place to the devil. The greatest thing you could do right now is to say, I got to get this right. And it could be you need to just say, I've done everything I can and you need to leave it in God's hands and let it go. Or it could be he's calling you to stop being a peace faker.
and be a peacemaker. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the practicality of your word. Thank you for the peace that you bring through Christ. Father, I pray for our church that we'll be a people of peace. Front issues one on one and love so there can be healing and acceptance and growth. And I pray that as a result, we'll shine forth your love to a world that is so filled with hatred and need of seeing what true peace is. In Jesus' name, amen.